there's been a lot of very interesting opportunity to, to think about what are we doing? How are we doing it? What are the uh, true values that we're, we're driving, that, that, that case for change? How do we quantify and qualify? And I remember back when we first recorded, I believe I talked about that, that the importance of bringing both the quantitative and qualitative benefits of what our impact is on the business to the forefront, to the front of our positioning for change. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to a very special episode of Status Go. Today, we are celebrating a milestone. This is episode 200. Over the last four years, we have brought you weekly insights into driving change in your organization. We've covered leadership, transformation and change, and diversity. Together, we have explored cloud, cybersecurity, resilience, and innovation. Our guests have shared the journey that led them to the office of the CIO, and other positions of leadership within the tech community. Speaking of guests, we've had over 200 technology and business professionals share the mic with us here on Status Go. As we thought about how best to to mark and how to celebrate this 200 episode, we decided to look back at where we, the collective we, all of us at InterVision and all of you, our listeners, where we have been and where we are going. I could think of no better guest to help us do that than our very own CEO and president of InterVision, Jonathan Lerner. Jonathan, welcome back to Status Go. Jeff, thank you. It's a, uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here on your 200th episode. Congratulations. It's a great, uh, great chance to reach out and touch a lot of people, uh, to influence the market, and frankly, to, uh, to help craft strategy. I think as I listen to your podcast, I'm I'm uh, I'm reminded about urgency and leadership and uh, you know initiatives and challenges that face us all uh, and and I think it's a uh, it's an honor to be with you here today. Thank you. Well, we certainly appreciate uh, that Intervision sees to it to produce this podcast uh, and bring it to uh, your customers, our customers, and and the the listeners out there in uh, in podcast land. And, yeah. and Jonathan, you may be pleased to know that your appearance a year ago, remember January of 22, uh, we recorded an episode and that still ranks among our most downloaded episodes. It really struck a chord with people. So thank you for that. Well, I'm a little surprised, frankly. I, I was I was new in the role. I'm not sure I had a lot to offer uh, other than perspective. But uh, again, um, I, I love talking uh, to leaders about uh, challenges and opportunities. And, um, you know, I, I think that uh, it's a high honor, frankly, but um, uh, a lot's changed, I think, since since we talked, uh, what, it's about 16 months ago, I think. Yeah, I think changed. so. A lot, a, lot of, a lot of new and interesting dynamics, macro and micro. That yeah, are, and I know yeah. you're, I, I see it in your face. You felt it, you've seen it. It continues yeah. to uh, be exciting and challenging at the same time. It's been an incredible ride. And and to our listeners, you should go back and listen uh, or re-listen if you've already heard it once uh, to Jonathan's episode 
creating competitive differentiation around strategy. There is wisdom in there for any business, whether you're a tech business or whether you're a tech enabled business. So Jonathan, I thought it would be fun to play snippets from a few of our prior episodes and get your take on it, get your reaction to that. But before we do it, I'd love for you to share your perspective on the last four years in tech. Hmm. Where have we been? And then after sharing a little bit about that pivot and talk about where you think we're going. Wow, four years. Um, you know, man, you, you, you've seen cycles, uh, hype and otherwise develop over the last four years. Um, what I'd say is, let me start with the constants, right? Is is the, I think the, the pressure to recognize that uh, technology is a gateway to strategy. It's, it's in itself, you know, technology, we talk about um, an enabler of business strategy. And I think that's the constant is the, um, the requirement to think not of uh, technology as events or uh, uh, feature function uh, solutions, uh, but rather opportunities to change and drive strategy. And I'm, I'm fond of a, of, a, of a saying one of my coaches said to me probably five years ago, just before then, um, that, that our job is really to demonstrate that we understand the cost of change is, is worth more than the cost of same. And, and I think that's a constant as well. What's changed, my gosh, uh, platforms, partners, technologies, preference, prem to cloud, data centers to virtual, secure, access, collaborate. I mean, you know, the, the list is as long as your arm and then times it by a hundred, multiply that. Um, I think that, that um, there's been a lot of very interesting opportunity, uh, Jeff, to, to, to think about what are we doing? How are we doing it? What are the uh, true values that we're, we're driving, that, that, that case for change? How do we quantify and qualify? And I remember back when we first recorded, I believe I talked about that, that the importance of bringing both the quantitative and qualitative benefits of what our impact is on the business to the forefront, to the front of our positioning for change. I think that, again, is a constant, but I think what's come out of that as the precipitate, the, the recommendations for how we change, not just what technologies, but what the impact to business could be, has elevated technology in the mix of levers. And I think that's, um, that's, that's an interesting opportunities for CIOs, for CTOs, for chief innovation officers, and for rank and file managers all the way to the individual contributor to really understand the business strategy that we're trying to address. Um, so as much change has happened in the last four years, I think an interesting golden thread is the similarities and the consistencies of how we defend, how we measure, and how we drive positioning technology as an agent of change. Yeah. It, it, it's we've earned that proverbial seat at the table. Uh, and now it's ours to do something with, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's, and, and to be held to account, to be measured, yeah. because I think, you know, um, again, with a, a tightening economy and a looming recession, whether it was quarters ago or even now, that, that insecurity is forcing the, the, the quantitative equation, not only why, but what was the impact of change if I want to do it again? Have yeah. I demonstrated that I can deliver on the business justification and the business case? 
when I go out with my handout and say, I want to enable strategy this way and I need more money to do it. Yeah. I think the CFO is, is if they were powerful before that, that, that controller, that treasurer, that CFO has a very discerning eye and the number of funded projects, as we know, has gone from 12 to two. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, when I talk to CIOs uh, around, around the country, the, the, the common thread or the golden thread that, that yeah. you were describing uh, really comes down to, to uh, being able to drive change and, and influence change, but proving the value uh, in the change. I, I love that quote that you offered up from your coach. So, Jonathan, are you ready for this walk down memory lane? You bet. I love the, I love the thought of snippets and commentary. I think it's great. Okay. So we're going to go way in our way back machine to episode 40, Dr. Ashwin Bilal. He was our guest on a provocatively titled Eliminating IT. Now, Dr. Bilal is the EVP and CIO of Medallia, a valued InterVision customer. And, and his interview remains our most downloaded episode ever. I think it's probably got to do with the title. I'd love to get your thoughts on this quote from that episode. So through the magic of technology, I'm going to bring in uh, Dr. Bilal if this technology works. Well, we are excited to have you. When we met a couple of weeks ago in San Mateo, you started things off with a very provocative statement. So I'd love for us to start there. You said, and I know I'm paraphrasing just a bit here, but you said your job is to eliminate IT. This is somewhat in the vein of Nicholas Carr's IT doesn't matter anymore from a few years back. What, what did you mean by your statement? Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't meant to be provocative, uh, honestly, Jeff. Uh, I've been doing this job for over a decade. I'm a two-time CIO, and I've come from a very business-oriented background. And in today's day and age, uh, I don't think it's fair for us to be called as information technology people. Uh, we drive innovation in technology, and that's what I meant, that that mm -hmm. old IT is over. Uh, it is an era of new IT where we are driving innovation, technology, top-line revenue growth, driving cash, uh, spending time with customers, and, and providing uh, great employee experiences. And that's what I meant by I, I want to get rid of the old IT. The old IT. You want to you want to change the perception by getting involved in more of the business, uh, driving more of the business. So, Jonathan, when when you talk to CIOs and other IT leaders, are you hearing something similar? Are are Ashwin's words the norm now? Yeah, I think he's dead on. So Medallia is a great customer. So thank you for the, for for bringing a a great customer on to interview. I think it's uh they have an interesting um, value proposition Medallia has and that single pane of glass around innovation. And I think I think he's a dead on. I think he's right. Driving the business agenda is the role of IT today. Um, and I I think he nailed it around shifting the role from run to innovate. I think that's that's an important element. And I'll go back to um to strategy. Uh, I think IT has to be able to articulate the business strategy and the differentiation of that strategy that that provides vis-a-vis -vis the competition. So IT needs to understand, am I, you know, am, is my purpose, is my value prop to be more innovative, more operationally excellent, or 
uh, as he described, am I trying to drive an employee experience or a, an experience as my differentiator? So what I'd say is, is IT's uh, challenge and job is to actually identify and articulate through technology, what's my differentiation? How am I getting there faster? Uh, if I can do a three-year plan in two, what's the value of doing that? How do I map to my corporate strategies, my OKRIs, my objectives, key results, and initiatives? And how do I make sure that I'm in lockstep with the organization that way? That's a much bigger job than, hey, let me let me not mess up the run, right? Yeah. Or yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think he nailed it on um, uh, what IT's job. I I would question does IT matter anymore? I think absolutely. And yeah, and you yeah. you know you see boardroom. Um, you see IT CIOs uh, evolving and becoming CEOs. You see the importance of the through and with technology equation on strategy and, yeah. and that inclusion. So I, I think, at, hell yeah, IT matters. In fact, it probably matters more. It matters more that we understand and can enable and articulate strategy. Because um, I, I think that's the extended ecosystem that IT brings as well. Yeah. And when, when I say extended ecosystem, what I mean is IT is often the representative of enabling technologies mm-hmm. and um, a lot of um, non-technologists can actually dismiss and kind of say, well, just, just you guys take care of that. And mm-hmm. I think the, the, the strong business owners are very much aligned and partnered with IT technology um, in, a, in a very meaningful way. So I think uh, my net is absolutely IT matters, but I understand exactly where he's coming from in saying IT has absolutely changed, and the definition right. we've got to we've got to make sure we're changing with uh, with the organization. In some ways, this this episode with uh, Dr. Bilal was was prophetic. Uh, he was probably on the leading edge of of some of those thoughts, and uh, I, I love how you you bring in. Uh, understanding strategy, understanding the value, uh, really having that deep business acumen uh, as an IT leader. And when I look across all of the episodes, uh, the 199 previous episodes uh, to this one, the topic we've covered the most, I'd say, is leadership. Hmm. There's there's so many aspects of leadership. We could probably dedicate every episode to exploring leadership lessons. Uh, and of all the leaders we've had on Status Go, the one that stands out for me is Steve Johns. The, he's, Steve is the CEO of One Cause, uh, a SaaS-based. Uh, they they have a SaaS-based product uh, in the nonprofit space, nonprofit mm-hmm. fundraising space. He's appeared on the the program twice. Once in the fall of 2020, we all remember what 2020 brought us, uh, and once just this past December. Steve's leadership during the multiple crises of 2020 was nothing short of inspirational. In our recent conversation, we talked about the book he has written, Fearless, Leadership at the Crossroads. And I want to play a snippet from that conversation. So let's try another uh, another snippet here. One of the things I learned about you from reading the book is you you have a love for music. Um, and uh, some one of these days we're going to have to to uh, get together over a beer, and you're going to have to talk about the band that you managed because I think uh, there's to. probably some cool stories there. 
But as as you refer to music throughout uh, some of these chapters, and you even call out a, a couple of times what you were listening to uh, at the time, what role does music play in your leadership and your life? Music is so important. And I think that, that I like to tie music also together with fundraising, because if you think about what music can do, music really, it moves you and it, and, and it gets you into a mood. And so in the mornings I listen to smooth jazz and I listen to easy, easy rock because that's the, that's how I feel in the morning. And mm -hmm. through, as, as we progress throughout the day, the beats get faster and faster and the, the music changes. And so it helps to set my mood. It helps to mirror my mood. But I, again, I think that if you, what, what do people get really passionate about? People get really passionate about music mm -hmm. and people get really passionate about these causes. And so I also believe that there's this connection between music and, and, and the, the passion associated with music and the passion associated with the causes that I like to keep together. It's, it's, it really, they really go, they really go together. And also just sharing the music that I was listening to, Jeff, was just part of my transparency, was just part yeah. of my process. And it's also just, I just wanted to tell people, I'm just sitting here by myself at the office, or I'm just sitting here by myself in my home office. And I just happened to be listening to Thin Lizzy at the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's, a, that's a great one. So Jonathan, as you listen to Steve, I, I, I got to ask you, uh, are you listening to Thin Lizzy this morning? <laughs> I don't have Thin Lizzy play. I'm listening to my dog's wine, actually. They're, they're oh. with me today. But uh, no, you know, I think what I draw from, I think, Steve's comments is, is, is inspiration and mood. And those are, those are uh, head and heart, right? And I think, I think that's, um, uh, sounds like Steve's a great leader. He's influenced and he understands that the, the need for authentic and transparent leadership. And I can hear that in how he's inspired, right? And ultimately our job is to try to transfer that same inspiration that we're feeling and engage the head and the heart of our people and be a multiplier in that effect. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I love music as well. I don't, I'm not, uh, I was never one to study with music because I, it was too distracting. I like, I, I study in, in quiet. Uh, ah, yeah. but I think engaging heart and mind is what, is what I hear in that theme. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we do that, that inner vision around being purposeful around our purpose, um, yeah. to attract, um, you know, loyal customers and empowered team members. And it's about, um, uh, leveraging our values and making sure that our actions are inspiring because what we do um, really engages hearts and minds. It, 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 it's what even on troubled days gets us out of bed, jumping into the shower at 5 a.m. And, and really um, thinking about how what we do is meaningful. That, that I think I talked in our first our conversation around our balance between customer, company, and self. And yeah. you know, how are we engaging uh, all three of those elements in equilibrium and, and what, at the end of the day, what, what are we, what are we doing to find that passion and inspiration? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think that's evolved over the last 18 months here. Yeah. Uh, but I think that, that Steve's comments around, um, 
uh, well, a couple of things, right? The, the, the authentic nature of finding something that inspires you and hoping that that creates an infectious result uh, yeah. in a positive way. And then, and then building strategy and making sure that we're including employee engagement at the top of our, of our list, right? And when I think about how we define objectives for our business and um, our, our people, we're in a people business. So we have to, we have to take into account um, that, that need for inspiration. Uh, there are tough times and you've got you to be able to reach in and uh, make a connection. And make sure that that your leadership and what you're doing um, uh, is is of course uh, buzzword time. But but you know you're thinking upstream. You're thinking about right. what we can do that <clears throat> creates an environment so that people can bring their authentic selves. That they can they can truly engage and not be fearful of. Uh, well, I've got to leave this behind because I don't want that to to appear. That might be a weakness or that. No, I, I think that that the more uh, transparent, the more authentic we are, um, the better our inspiration is felt in others. Yeah. And that, that extends outside the organization as well. Right. Um, but it's definitely a deeply human business we're in, uh, yes. when, yes. when we're, when we're creating experience and we're talking about differentiating that way, I think that, that, uh, Steve's comments around mood and what inspires us, we mm-hmm. have to be aware, we have to be touching that, that deeper emotional side. Yep. Of, of what drives us to bring uh, everything we can to work every day. Well, and, you know, I've, I've gotten to know you a little bit over the last 16 months or, or so, Jonathan, and yep. and even had the, the pleasure of, of meeting your son, uh, gosh, almost a year ago now. And one of the things that I would say uh, outside looking in uh, that inspires your leadership is family. I've always been impressed by that. It seems like every conversation you and I have somewhere in that conversation is woven family. So I I think that it may not be music that drives your leadership or inspires your leadership, but I think it's family. You're you're absolutely right. I like, I think we've talked, I've got two gears. I've got work and I got family. Uh, Those are my two passions. Um, But you're absolutely right. It's, it's a, that's my comfort and it's my, uh, respite. You know, it's, it's kind of where, um, I'm also, uh, you know, I'm proud of accomplishments around work, but I'm also proud of what my wife primarily, and I have done around raising, uh, you know, three really outstanding kids. Um, and, and I really, uh, I celebrate that. I really, uh, that love of family drives me pretty, pretty hard for sure. Well, it, it it comes through. It it really comes through. Thank you. Well, in, in another one of our most listened to episodes, we, we talked with Cynthia Billups and she talks about uh, reducing isolation and it was part of our series Race in Tech. Uh, and in that series, we explored race from several perspectives, amplifying the voices of our colleagues. In this specific episode, Cynthia talks about the loneliness of being, quote, the only end quote. Mm -hmm. Uh, After we listen to Cynthia, can you talk about some of the things InterVision has done in the last several years to champion diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging? Let's let's listen to what Cynthia brings. And I find this fascinating because this was was at the close. She had this on her heart and she really wanted to share it with our listeners. Excellent. Cynthia, thank you so much. I have really enjoyed our conversation. I, I think 
your insights and what Dev Color is doing for the black engineering community is amazing. And I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you. Um, can I, I wanted to add one thing that I forgot to talk about, sure, which was about sure. uh, hiring. Yes. Okay. So one of the other ways that, um, that folks can, can diversify their workforce is to look at how they're hiring. So look at the algorithms that you're using to check your resumes. Make sure that you're asking for things that are reasonable. So what we're finding in tech is that someone will say, you know, you need eight years of JSON experience when actually JSON hasn't existed for eight years. So be super, super clear about yeah. what you're asking for and also be super clear about what you are saying in terms of must have a master's, must have a CS degree. Um, there are a lot of non-traditional candidates out there who are self-taught and who come through boot camps and who would be fantastic to have on your team who are being weeded out before they ever get to talk to somebody because of the um, of the way resumes are being vetted. So yeah. that's a huge thing that folks, that companies can do pretty easily actually, just just what wording they're looking for to do the matching. And then the last thing around that is really putting a priority on who's coming through the door and actually stating that you want to see a diverse set of candidates for yes. every position whenever possible. You don't have to hire them, but you want to see them. You want to see, you want your interviewers to be able to talk to more than one of a minority group, because what we've seen is that when you talk to two people, you see them as individuals instead of just the uh, one woman who applied. Yeah. So Jonathan, I know Cynthia is talking about hiring practices here, yeah. but what are some of the things that InterVision has implemented in the last couple of years as part of its DEI program? Yeah, yeah. I, I think you know Cynthia's words uh, uh, hit home. Where the reality is that um, a lot of uh, a lot of leaders in hiring positions face an unconscious bias. Um, they they they're prone to look in the mirror and to hire. A, uh, a like, a likeness of themselves. And we, we all struggle with um, educating our team. So, so what are we doing, right? We, we have a, a very purposeful way that we're, we're uh, to the point of hiring, that we have multiple candidates, that we're looking for diversity in, um, in all aspects of a, of a, uh, of a, a community. Um, and that's representing ethnicity and minorities, uh, sexes, uh, even um, de developmental and ability, um, we we are um, we are increasing our consideration on candidate pools with a knowledge of unconscious bias, and we're we're also uh, through through our our uh, our our people leader uh, Melanie uh, Bergler, we're we're um, we're we're educating our leaders on what it takes to actually think uh, differently around hiring pools and diversity and the benefits to uh, companies and to teams and to people of really consciously um, having a diverse workforce. Um, so we've, we have a DEI uh, group internally. We have a committee that advises uh, my ELT, my executive leadership team, um, we are, um, we are polling our people on what we can do better to be a more diverse and, uh, representative of our community organization. Um, our, uh, our, our training and our onboarding includes 
that awareness for um, the benefits, but also the need, the necessity to actually be a more diverse and um, uh, inclusive hirer. And I think, um, you know, th these are all important developments that are in the forefront of our hiring and our decisions to be uh, diverse. Personally, we've added uh, two women leaders to our ELT, uh, to our, our executive leadership ranks. We're not where we need to be, frankly, Jeff, and we continue to want to and make positive steps in, uh, in inclusive leadership. Uh, all the way to the point of our M&A, right? Part of our strategy is mergers and acquisitions and inorganic uh, growth. Uh, we recently, last year, we made an acquisition of a company out west in Seattle that has a, um, um, uh, a disproportionate, a, a higher number of board advisors that are black and women. And we consciously are looking at acquisitions where we can uh, we can increase our diversity as well. So organically and inorganically, Definitely. yeah, we're very yeah. conscious of how do we uh, better represent the communities where we live and work. Um, and that's a purposeful uh, move for us. That's actually uh, evolved in our thinking around how do we balance mix? How do we actually uh, not only do that, but but I think we create advantage by having that diversity of thought and leadership. It, it, it brings uh, different ideas to the table. And, okay. and, and I agree with you that w uh, many companies and our listeners would probably agree, have taken very positive steps uh, in the last several years. And uh, we, we've got a long way to go. We keep yeah. working on this. And, and I, I am sure over the next four years of status go, we're gonna continue this conversation. I think we have time for a couple more snippets if you're game, Jonathan. You bet. For sure. All right. So InterVision CTO, John Gray. John's been on Status Go several times. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to his first appearance. Cloud is such an important part of the tech landscape. And, and John's been a thought leader in that space almost since uh, Cloud was born. Uh, in this episode, we answer the question, what exactly does it mean to be cloud first? So as we listen to the conversation, I want you to pontificate a little bit uh, when, when we're done with the clip on where you see cloud going in the future. So here comes John. Yeah, as you say, it really comes down to what are your integration requirements of that application's data and where does it need to move? That begins to be the real challenge. So, John, as is often the case with some of the terms that start to get uh, hyped in the in the technology space, sometimes you end up with it becoming overhyped or even misused. But we did a blog post a couple months ago about AI washing uh, and the concept of uh, everything now gets branded as AI. Are you seeing that same thing with the whole concept of cloud first? Is that something that's being misused or overhyped? Um, cloud first has definitely been misused and probably somewhat overhyped. Um, as I was describing earlier, the misuse of it, I think a lot is around people thinking of it as cloud only. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's not. I was describing it. You know, think about going to the cloud whenever you've got new applications or you have infrastructure needs, all those kinds of things. Yeah. So that's really a cloud first mentality. I think people have have really related cloud first to infrastructure as service. Uh, a lot of you know just focus around that. 
as I was describing, yeah, it's a lot more than that. There's a lot more services in the cloud that are uh, yeah. managed services, yeah. platform as a service, you know, very sophisticated and increasingly so that can really provide a lot of benefit. Um, yeah, but you've got to understand how to use them. You need to be ready for them. So there certainly is a lot of hype around this. In the end, this is you know, it's infrastructure, it's pre-built components and services that if they enable your business and you can fit them in correctly, can be of great value. But you know, it can also very much be, I think, the next shiny object because there is relentless <laughs> yeah. amount of new change here. Um, new services coming out and you know if you're not careful that can become very distracting and can cause you to sort of wonder whether you should get in at all or you know oh boy you know we started this should we redo it that way so it's you know you need a thoughtful approach where you understand your requirements understand the, the cost benefit of what you're doing and and you stay focused on pushing through to certain predefined endpoints before you then restart to evaluate Okay, Jonathan, crystal ball. Um, I know InterVision just released uh, a new offering, uh, MCS, Managed Cloud Services. Mm -hmm. What does the future hold for cloud? Wow, that's a big one. Uh, I, think, <laughs> I didn't say this was going to be easy. <laughs> There's a lot there. John, John's absolutely right. Um, uh, you ask somebody uh, on the street, what's their def definition of cloud? You'll, you'll get a hundred different things, right? Um, John rightly breaks it down uh, and talks about infrastructure as a service. Um, cloud, as we know, is not a state of being, right? It's an evolving thing. Um, when I'm talking to CIOs and CEOs, the big concern is lock-in. Um, and and the, big, the big opportunity is to move up the stack from platform to infrastructure as a service to software as a service, ultimately solving... Uh, business process and business differentiation and change and go back to that strategy, right? So, so um, I think the future, I would, I would say a couple of things. One is the future is hybrid. Um, it, it's, it's um, I need to run my, uh, my business applications. I want to be talking about the value to the business and going back to your earlier question, right? Of, of, is is it dead no no the cio has to and and now it's not just the cio it's business leaders as, as well um have to be aware of the platforms underlying their applications and have to be open right so the the c-level folks uh that i'm talking to want um uh they they're looking for the operational efficiencies of potentially of a move to cloud right does that does that unlock whether it's CapEx to OpEx or uh, overall savings, do I get speed, scale, and reach from a as-a-service environment for my infrastructure? Do I need to be aware or do I need to care which CSP, which cloud service provider I'm actually partnered with? A lot of this, the C-level folks I'm talking to say, I, I don't want to be limited that way. I, I, don't, I, just, I want to know the answer is yes, and I want to run my business more efficiently. I want to be able to have speed to be able to pivot if I need to. I want to be able to scale my business when I need to without cost every time I go. And I want to have the flexibility to be able to make choices that are good for my business and know that I can respond in real time at the speed of business. So 
you, you know, I, I think the crystal ball, what I would say is um, cloud is in the discussion. And depending on who you're serving and their needs, the answer may be more. It may be faster. It may be, um, uh, you know, let's let's look at the next workloads as ways to achieve the, the journey and the vision that we're on. I think our job is to work on roadmaps and see with technology as, as an enabler, where are customers or prospects in their maturity? And what's the right uh, insights we bring from the experiences, right? We, we all know, Jeff, that, that there are tremendous efficiencies to be gained by um, enabling companies to focus on their core competencies and outsourcing that which is not a core competency. And a lot of times we're seeing that uh, that, that companies, especially in the spaces we serve, right, that mid to enterprise space for financial service, for, for regulated industry and public sector, hard to, to solve, hard to address, hard to make happy businesses. Uh, a lot of them are choosing to adopt cloud, right? The numbers are there. It's uh, the compound average growth rate for the next five years is over 20% in public cloud adoption. But that's not to say it's the only solution, right? We're we're providing private cloud because sometimes businesses uh, aren't going to move all their workloads to cloud, right? To public cloud. Um, sometimes in the areas of disaster recovery or backup as a service, sometimes a hybrid, hybrid approach or a private approach is preferred. And every company has their reasons. You know, our goal is to understand those and to be able to either challenge them and say, well, let's bring new insights and thinking about your journey. Or let's enable that and let's see how, how efficiently or how quickly we can do and prove out that business justification, right? Um, I would say that you'll start to see crystal ball time again. You'll see those CSPs continue to decouple process, to look at service enablement. And, and if you take a, a financial services, a take a bank, for instance, consumers are less apt to take all wallet share from a bank. They want the flexibility to decouple offerings, to do loans from a, a financial institution or a mortgage from a pure play financial provider. So the, the challenge is how do, we, how do we help enable the consumer who actually wants uh, the best in breed experience uh, for them, which, which may not be from everyone. It may not be from a single supplier. Um, and and for the for the provider, it's how do we gain more wallet share? How do we instill trust? How do we how do we maximize our experience we're delivering? And how does cloud play a, a part in that? That that faster um, uh, that faster path to consumer or customer experience? How what's the what is what's the position? Of, what's the play? Where's the value of cloud in that discussion? Right. So I, I think that that. Um, whether it's now or in the future, our role is to bring perspective and insight around the benefits of that journey, right? To what are, how do we de-risk? How do we optimize the experience? How do we validate the value of that journey to cloud? And with the strategy of the customer in mind, and you know, you know, how do we make good recommendations of all elements of technology? But, but you'll see that, that those CSPs creep into uh, software as a service, not just infrastructure as a service. You've seen that with Amazon. You see that with Microsoft. You see it with Google. Um, and of course, you know, since you led with uh, with um, 
machine learning and uh, AI, you'll see elements that augment like chat GPT. I, I saw today 100 million users, the fastest adoption of any technology, any software in the history of software. Um, so you, you'll see that, that um, cloud and technologies related to infrastructure as a service, right? Start to bleed into experience and automation and augmenting experience. So I think that's where we'll see increased interest and investment, um, doing more with fewer, making sure that we can deliver on citizen and customer experience through uh, cloud-based, um, uh, not, just, not just infrastructure, but applications as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, and I love how you tie in value and strategy. It's, it's not about cloud as cloud, right? Mm -hmm. It's what, what's the value that the, that the company is trying to derive? What are they trying to drive? Yeah. And can cloud help them on that journey? Yeah, uh, so I, I, I love that thread, Jonathan. It, it's weaving through everything we're, we're talking about today. I'll give you one more piece on that, right? I think, I think that, that um, you know, uh, cycle-wise, clearly cloud's mainstream. There's no, it's not, it's not fringe anymore. Um, it's not uh, experimental. It's not just IT, right? Line of business are allocating dollars to figure out how do I move faster? How am I more efficient? How do I enable that pivot and change in flexibility? Um, but many of our customers are stalled. They start and then they pause. And I think um, the real opportunity, if you look at the number of workloads that are actually have moved to the cloud behind the, 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 the infrastructure, there are so, there's so much potential, right? I, I think um, uh, Amazon put a number around it and Gartner validated it's over 90% of actual workloads that will eventually go to the cloud have yet to move. They're still premise. They're still, so, so the potential um, of, of us helping our clients recognize and plot out that roadmap of prioritizing those workloads and those outcomes that will benefit from the journeys they've begun. That's the real opportunity. There, therein lies the conversation of what workloads, what process needs to evolve and change or is an opportunity to change as a result of that, that pivot on infrastructure. So th there's great really encouraging, fun conversations happening um, around what's next and wh what, so, you, you know, the now, the next, the future, we're engaging in a lot of conversations of help me prioritize what next is around my future state. And that's a very, very exciting spot we're in right now. It, it is such an exciting time. And, and uh, I, thanks for, for, for putting that out there that, sure. uh, the majority of the workloads still have yet to be migrated, and that's 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 exciting. Yeah. Well, we've got time for one last uh, snippet here, uh, and this is a topic that's always on the mind of IT leaders: cybersecurity, cybersecurity, and resilience. I, I've heard it called cyber resilience, and I just love that conjunction. Uh, Intervision continues to be a leader in the cyber resilience space. And uh, as, as you know, it's a topic near and dear to my heart is DRAS or Disaster Recovery as a Service. Sure. Uh, so we're going to listen to InterVision's own Adam Scamhorn. Uh, he's been a DRAS engineer, product manager, and is now a product director in this space. 
So let's listen to part of an interview with Adam. Yep, yep. Excellent. Thanks. I just know because one of the roles that you had in the interim between engineering <laughs> and product management was uh, client education, right? It so was. I know you're yes. passionate about that. I am. And uh, I also know because we were on the receiving end of some of that education <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, over the years, and it helped us make the decision. You mentioned uh, our experience. We found that our workloads actually ran better in mm -hmm. a recovered state than they did in our data center that was down the hall right. uh, because of the equipment that it was running on and all the various things that, that go along with that. So we appreciated your guidance. And I think that's an important uh, highlight for our listeners is that people go through these drivers and it's real easy to talk about total cost of ownership, geographic diversity, cloud first strategy, but it's quite another to have lived that. And you've lived each one of those things. And I think that's an awesome testament to your career that you've been through a lot of that on both sides of the table. Now, there's also, we talked about this a little bit ago, Adam, and uh -huh. that uh, over the last, call it five years or so, the reality of using the hyperscale clouds or the public clouds, however you want to label them, has become a reality versus hosted clouds, typically uh, as you were mentioning, the hosted clouds are similar hypervisors, whether it's VMware, Hyper-V, and now you can choose to use the public clouds. What are some of the decision factors that you're seeing clients weigh to decide where their target for the replication is going to be? Yeah. So that cloud-first strategy kind of plays a part is if the client has a goal in mind of in the next five years, I want to be in AWS. In the next five years, I want to be in Azure. Obviously, it makes sense to start looking at doing your resiliency, your disaster recovery, your backups into that environment. So you can do exactly what I was talking about with kind of that driver. The other key, though, is speed. So what's the total cost of my downtime? How fast do I need to be recovered in? And different cloud technologies can be faster than others. Um, so whether that's the same hypervisor or different hypervisor is going to make a difference in your speed to recovery. Mm -hmm. If I am running my production workloads in VMware and I'm converting those workloads into a different hyperscaled cloud hypervisor, it's going to take a little bit longer for every one of those machines to be converted. In most cases, it's a balancing act. What's more important, the cost or the speed? and figuring out what the direction is that I want to go there. Disaster recovery as a service providers also offer different tiers of hot, warm, or cold recovery capabilities with all of those destinations. So there's a range of speed, um, whether you're changing hypervisors or not. Another thing that you want to look for in a solution with ransomware being such a large concern is immutability. So the word gets thrown around a lot and all of the different technologies have different ways they approach that. But essentially, it just means that you can't change the data. Once it's written, it's controlled by policy, and it's read-only. So that's hugely important for DR solutions that want to protect them. So, Jonathan, the theme of our conversation today is where we have been and where we are going. Right. InterVision was one of the first companies to talk about DR as part of cybersecurity. Today, we would call that cyber resilience. Where do you see this concept of cyber resilience 
heading in 2023 and, and beyond. Yeah, just listening to Adam, uh, talk about a guy who oozes uh, uh, confidence and, and ability, right? Capability. Um, he, he's sensational. And, um, you know, I think he framed up uh, the question really well. Uh, the, the first question was around disaster recovery. That, again, that's a state of being uh, competitive, compliant, and secure and on the secure side. And then he wove in uh, elements of cyber, right? And, and so I think um, where we're going is system-wide. Um, and I think that's the key message that Adam was delivering is we can solve for a state with a uh, whether it's disaster recovery or backup as a service, uh, we we need to be secure, and cybersecurity is an element of that. We need we need um, uh, we need to connect the dots, which is what we're really focused on, right? So when we think about a platform for being secure, Adam talks about two of those elements: disaster recovery as a service and backup as a service. He also talks about cybersecurity or ransomware protection as a service. And I think that's exactly the mission that we're on is to create systems so that our clients are competitive, compliant, and secure, and that they can do that and collaborate anywhere at any time, any place, and they still get all the way to the edge. They get that security, that confidence to operate. Um, and by focusing on downtime, that 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 little little devil on your shoulder of what is the What's the risk? What are the areas? And the, I think that the, the answer and the biggest opportunity is connect the dots. Where we come in, right, and, and we're, we're very fortunate to have a great innovation uh, factory is what we call it. And we're trademarking and we're wrapping, we're orchestrating offerings of best in breed providers. And then we wrap managed services and professional services around those to create truly unique offerings that are easy to buy, own and run. And we call them as your IV as a service offerings. Ransomware protection is one of those. Disaster recovery is one of those areas. Backup as a service is the same. And immutable is a really important part of our differentiation. But I don't want to talk about our solution specifically. I'll, let me answer your question. So where we're going is we're filling in the gaps that are the exposures for a lot of our customers. Over time, they've bought products whether they've changed process or integrated products into systems is the big question. And that's the exposure. And it's usually the weakest link, right? Right at the edge. So we'll be coming out with secure uh, 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 at the edge SSE. You'll see us launch that coming up next quarter, as well as PTAS um, and our, our um, uh, you know, our full suite of offerings around um uh, penetration testing as a service to complement, right? As an ongoing element of that solution. Um, <clears throat> the point I'm trying to make, Jeff, is is we're 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 orchestrating solutions into a system uh, to make sure that customers are secure. And I think that's the important differentiator for our customers is not just tools, right? Not just state of being in one element. I'm secure. I've got a disaster recovery strategy, but I'm actually secure, and I can test that. I can provide a solution in the event that I am breached or I, I can have a, an SLA around return to operations and timing around that. And I can do that with a partner that is, has proven that they can link those products or stages into a system, right? It's the same 
you know, the evolution of technology, right? We went, we went from uh, best in breed and I want to own the best of everything toward best of suite. And I actually need to orchestrate and, and, and integrate those things. So I'm actually closing the gaps in between those elements. And I'm doing that not by tying it with, with middleware, uh, but I'm actually investing in a system that can actually make sure that I'm resilient, that I am uh, prepared in the event of a, uh, of a breach, that I am dealing with the realities of work from everywhere and collaboration in conjunction with secure and competitive and compliant, right? So, so I think that that is the future of whether it's disaster recovery, it's, am I asking the right questions? Am I secure from, from cradle to grave? Am I, am, am I secure at my weakest potential element? Have I addressed process as well as tools? And what, God forbid, what if I am, what do I do? And am I confident that I have a strategy so that I can not be in a position where I'm counting the millions or I'm, I'm dealing with, you know, a, a, uh, a, a known blacklist or, uh, uh, you know, um, I'm having to involve the FBI because guess what? Uh, I thought I was prepared, but I wasn't. Wasn't. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, um, I, I love how you talk about, um, uh, connecting the dots and, and filling the gaps because that's really what these as a service offerings do. Um, and, uh, and you mentioned RPAS, uh, ransomware protection as a service, you know, PTAS, uh, 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 penetration testing as a service. Uh, for our listeners, you've heard us talk about both of those uh, in past episodes here on, on Status Go. Well, we're about to pop the figurative cork on our champagne <laughs> bottle uh, of our 200th episode. But as our tradition on this show has become over the four years, we want to leave our listeners with a, a, a solid call to action. Mm -hmm. So Jonathan, we've spent a lot of time chatting today and listening to these snippets. Uh, what are one or two things that our listeners should do tomorrow because they listen to our conversation today? Mm. I think, you know, don't wait, right? Engage, um, engage partners that are insightful. It could be us. It might be somebody else that brings a perspective to the thinking, to the table. I think, um, Decisions in isolation, be it around hiring and diversity or technology and roadmap, are always enriched with insights from partners, right? And and I think, um, you know, uh, the adage, uh, uh, all of us is better than one of us. I think that that don't delay, right? Engage um, with InterVision. We've we've invested to make sure that our conversations can be and should be insightful. That we lead with experience, examples, business cases. Um, and, and by industry, like-minded leaders that are making decisions and how has that impacted their business, their IT, their landscape, right? So I, I think my, my first word of advice is don't wait. Um, be proactive. That's the way we encourage our, uh, our, our, our teams to engage with customers. Lead with insight, lead with experience, right? But make sure that you're doing it early and often. Um, so, so, you know, enrich, engage the ecosystem would be, would be, you know, kind of that, that leave behind on that. I um, love that. and then I think, you know, challenge your, challenge your partners, uh, to challenge your strategy, right? Not just showing up early, but, uh, be as transparent with your partners as you can be. Um, the more we know about strategy, 
The earlier we know, the better, right? So um, along the same vein, don't wait and engage deeply, engage with, um, with trust and confidence, lead that way, and uh, maybe engage before procurement, right? <laughs> uh, so so um, I, think, I think partners have had to evolve um, and, and we've, we've had to recognize that uh, the buying journey is very different. So our, our selling journey has to keep up and in fact, try to be ahead. We know that um, vendors is a bad word, right? That, that, that partner is, is the ultimate uh, crown. That's where you want to pop the cork is when you're engaged in strategy discussions, when you're engaged early um, and when you're truly talking about making a difference and um, you have access to the insights of the organization. So uh, I think that, that recognizing the broader uh, influence wheel around business, IT, uh, finance, legal, all these things and working together to map out a strategy with your partner versus a vendor, I think that goes a long way to uh, helping the outcome, but also I think speeding the value that you're expecting out of that transformation and change that you're you're engaging partners, uh, partners on. Um, and the last thing I'd say is, you know, have faith that what's not your core competency, you probably want to reach out and partner, right? Know as a customer, as a, as a, as a potential customer, um, the benefits are there to allow your organization to focus on your core competencies and encourage that there are others that can really, if it's not core to you, it's going to be core to somebody like us. And we bring that as an extension of what you need uh, as an outcome and allow you to focus on your core competencies and your competitive uh, you know, differentiation in your markets. Yeah. And, and, and there's, there's that thread again, right? Value and strategy. Yeah. Uh, don't hesitate. Uh, partner challenge. Uh, uh, work with your partner to challenge your strategy, to make it yeah. better, to make sure you're getting value. Jonathan, I, I, I have to thank you so much uh, for uh, spending a, an extended time with us today. I really appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate InterVision and, uh, and your production of this podcast because I think it's so valuable for our listeners. Thank you for carving out time to talk to us. Very welcome, Jeff. It's been, uh, it's been a real fun day. Thank you for the time. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, visit intervision.com. If you want to go specifically to the show notes for this episode, you can go to intervision.com slash status dash go, and it will take you right there. The show notes will provide links and contact information. This is Jeff Tun for Jonathan Lerner. Thank you very much for listening to all 200 episodes of Status Go. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.